God, they thank you that the message of that song has been put to the test, and you are so committed to the reality that we would never be alone, that you sent your son Jesus to live and to dwell among us. And so this morning, as we turn to your word, as we hear what it has to say to us today, we recognize that you are here, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And so as many times as maybe we've heard this Christmas story, or maybe for the first time, we pray that it would ignite something in our hearts and in our lives that would lead us to action today. Be with us. Open up our ears and our eyes, our hearts, our minds to the activity of your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure at this point in the season, you are probably knee-deep in all of those Christmas traditions that I know so many of us have. Um, In the Nelson house, we've watched our Christmas movies, we've decorated our tree, we've made our first batch of cookies, we've lit all of our Christmas candles, we've even had our first marital fight over whether or not to send out Christmas cards, right? When you get them in the mail, you will know who won. Um, Every year, we always do the same things. We always open up our family Christmas gifts. On Christmas morning, we always eat Swedish pancakes. It's the part that we look forward to sometimes the most. Um, Growing up, we always had a Swedish smorgasbord Christmas Eve, um, except for that one year my aunt tried to convert us to lasagna. (laughs) It didn't go well. Um, We always make the peanut butter cookies with the Hershey's kiss in the middle. And I remember um, one year when Jacob, who is now eight, when he was three, and I asked him, Jacob, what's, you know, what's Christmas all about? And he quickly responded, Jesus. And I was like, yes, like he's got it, right? He's got it. And then I remember the next year I said, Jacob, what's Christmas all about? And he said, Jesus. And then he paused and he said, and presents, right? And I get it, like it's such a special time of year. Um, But I think what happens over time is we grow up and we say, Jesus and, right? Jesus and the snow, Jesus and the carols and the concerts, Jesus and the rapping and the shopping and the more rapping and the movies and the hot chocolate and the list goes on and on and on. It's so easy to get distracted during the holidays because the demands are just all around us. Anne Voskamp, in her book, Unwrapping Christmas, writes, at its very essence, Christmas is a love story. Christmas is a love story. Each week of Advent, we focus on a different word of that week, and so we have celebrated hope, and we have celebrated joy, and this morning, we celebrate love. And as people who follow Jesus, we've Identify Jesus at the very heart of what we do and why we celebrate. But the discipleship question this morning, the question we have to ask as we follow Jesus is how does that love shape our lives? How does that love influence our behavior? How does love make our Christmas today look any different? 
and the story of Jesus' birth from Luke 2, we read these words, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping their, the watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. We start together today from this foundational fact that the gospel is good news for everyone. This is not a disputed reality here. The gospel is good news for Jews and Gentiles, for lawyers and shepherds, for moms and math teachers, for prostitutes and Packer fans. I had to. I haven't got much time left. I had to. Okay. For stay-at-home dads and movie stars, for politicians and protesters, this is the good news that was spoken with the end in mind that this is for everyone. God didn't send Jesus into this world for one ethnicity, one socioeconomic status, or for one generation, but for all people of all times in all places. Friends, this is good news. Later on in Luke 2, we read in verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. Because certainly when we have good news about something, we want to tell people about it. Whole businesses like Instagram and Facebook have been built on this very idea. And for the shepherds, upon meeting the baby, Jesus, they knew that they had something that would go viral and they wanted to tell people. I mean, think about it. Just like the shepherds, so many people in the biblical story, upon hearing and experiencing Jesus, their first response is to go. And as I look at our culture today, both inside and outside of the church, so much of our holidays are centered around this idea of gathering, right? We get together and we throw a party and we plan menus and we clean and we prepare for the guests to arrive and we gather. And friends, we do it so well. But so much of the Christmas story is actually about people going. They went out because they knew they had good news. They knew they had something to share. They knew they had a message that was not just more of the same, but it would be a message that would radically alter people's lives. And their first reaction after they experienced this Jesus was to go and share what they had with others. And we know this too. Because if Christmas is about Jesus... It's about setting aside privilege. It's about setting aside status. It's about giving and often sacrificing and sometimes going into difficult places, out of our comfort zone situations, to be with people who, let's face it, are often not like me. If Christmas is about Jesus, then certainly Christmas is about going. 
But I'll be the first to admit that in this list of traditions, as the list of expectations, as the events to attend and the school functions to show up to and the food and the tree and the shopping, I wonder if. I wonder if Christmas has become less about going and more about gathering. Less about going and more about gathering. And for just a moment, just look at this idea of these two spectrums. If we have gathering on one end and going on the other, where might you place your life at this moment? Is this where you want to be today? Because the reality this morning is this, it's not like one is good and the other is bad. That's not what I'm saying. But we can so focus on one, we totally forget the other, and it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if sometimes the meaning that we're searching for, the thing that we think often makes Christmas magical, or at least for some bearable, is not found in the gathering, but it is found in the going. So this morning, I just want to give you three words to hang your hats on this morning. Three words to just handles to grab onto as we think about this idea this morning. The first is this. The first word is see. The first word is see. Do we see people? Do we see people? Do we notice them? And whose lens are we using as we do? Hear these words from Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. It says this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now these, these images in our heads are actually talking about a person, and we know this to be the person of Jesus, that he is born out of this family of Jesse, that his roots go back to the ground. They go back to the very beginning. In other words, some people think the author is not just pointing to the fact that Jesus is in the line of descendants. He's just another person in this lineup of royalty, but he is actually from the ground doing a new thing. He is ushering in a new kingdom. And then it says this. It says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Now stick with me for just a minute because we hear this phrase and we often think we know exactly what that means and we just gloss by it. But this phrase, the spirit of the Lord, was used throughout the Old Testament and it was given, it was um, put on people that were exhibiting or doing something or a character trait that is beyond human abilities. When that happens, the Bible tells us that the spirit of the Lord is on them. So even as we go on and read these verses that tell us what the Spirit is bringing, what the Spirit gives, we have to be reminded this is something that doesn't fit in like a human category. But this is something that is empowered by the Spirit. And so it says the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And then it says, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. In other words, friends, he is not worried about amassing his power. He is not worried about keeping his position or maintaining his own wealth, but what will guide his kingdom, what will mark his rule is a delight in the fear of the Lord. 
Okay, so what does that have to do with love? Okay, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. The verses go on to say this. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. And with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. So here's the thing that you need to know about Jesus this morning. Before he is even born, it is um, being declared over him that he will be one that sees not with human eyes, but with spiritual ones. He will see not with human eyes, but with spiritual ones. And friends, the difference between these two realities is like standing in a dark room and then turning the light on. These words tell us that he just won't look at a person and judge them based on their image or their appearance. He won't determine someone's worth by what's in it for him, but instead he declares all people worthy. He's not worried about money and power because that's not the commodities that he deals in. He doesn't just look at people. He sees people. Have you ever passed judgment on someone because of what your eyes see and your ears hear? Have you ever seen someone walk in a room or heard their voice and you just put them in a certain box? Or labeled them in your head or in your heart? Have you ever made assumptions and then quickly found out you were totally wrong? During my senior year of college, um, where I was a social work major, <clears throat> I did my internship at a nearby high school really close by here. And um, before I started the internship, I talked with my supervisor about the type of high school it was and some of the challenges they had, kind of what was going on in the school and what my schedule would be like. But nothing prepared me for the first day when I showed up and the assistant principal started our training by teaching us how to physically restrain students who are out of control. It was a rude awakening to the realities we might face. And I remember fighting internally to believe that this was not going to be an everyday occurrence, but that there were also going to be some students there who would want to learn, who were motivated to graduate, who wanted to dream. And so I remember having my first one-on-one -on -one, um, meeting with a student in my office, and she walked in, and I knew she had some attendance issues at school. When she was there, she was tardy to class. And um, she slouched in my office chair, and she just looked like she was half asleep. And I took one look at her, and I thought, this girl has got to get it together, <laughs> right? And so we talked a little bit, and I remember thinking, you know what she really needs? She needs a good pep talk. She needs a good pep talk. And um, I was in the middle of this passionate speech about, you know, what was wrong and how she could do better, how she was made for more. And in, in the middle of the speech, her um, bag started buzzing. And so I hate to tell you, but I am old enough where not students didn't carry cell phones all the time when I was doing my internship. So I didn't know what that was, but she pulled out a pager and she said, excuse me, I got to go downstairs. And I thought, well, that's totally rude. 
And so I said, um, well, can we finish first? And she said, well, I got to go downstairs. My daughter needs me. And I took one look at her and I realized I did not have the whole story. And so she left and I walked next door to my supervisors and I said, um, she has a daughter? The sophomore girl, she has a daughter? And the supervisor said, well, downstairs is where they have the daycare for students with kids. And it was the first high school in our area to have a full-time daycare so parents could finish their education. Amazing, but really important information. And over the next few months, I got to know a girl who was parenting an infant daughter, who was trying to finish her education, as well as being the only English speaker in her household, constantly navigating the world on behalf of her parents, as well as three younger siblings, and she was tired. And she carried the weight of the world on her shoulders. And friends, over the next couple months, I don't know if I helped in her storyline, but I know that that interaction, it changed me. What we learn from Isaiah and from the rest of the story of scripture is that the very same spirit that rests on Jesus is available to us. And that spirit can give us new eyes and new ears to see people the way that he sees them. To recognize that there's almost always more to the story and it's never quite what you expect. To move beyond the surface assumptions and into the real lives of people. One of my favorite stories from all the scriptures from the Old Testament from the servant Hagar. And she is a servant who has been abused and dismissed and her life and the life of her son is in very real danger. And in that moment of crisis, she becomes the first person to name God because God meets her and she says, what? You are the God who sees me. The reason that God sent his son Jesus to have him put on flesh, as the Bible says, to dwell among us so that he could become a servant, so that he could, in a real and tangible way this morning, say to you, I see you. Friends, after we see people, we are offered the invitation to follow Jesus and to be with people to be with people, to identify with them, to empathize with them, to not just see them as other, but as we look at them, to actually see ourselves. To see ourselves. In his book, Give and Take, there's an organizational psychologist by the name of Adam Grant. And he outlined this one idea that could help us think about the way that we turn enemies into allies. And he outlines this by talking about this experiment that was done in the UK. And psychologists in the UK, they recruited people from the Manchester United soccer team to do this study. And they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take all these crazy soccer fans and we're gonna have them walk from one building to the other. But as they go for this walk, they're gonna encounter a runner, and this runner is gonna be running along, he's gonna trip, he's gonna fall, he's gonna grab his leg in pain. And we're gonna see what happens. Okay, so this is the experiment, this is what they do, and here's what the researchers found. They were asking, will the soccer fans help the runner? 
And the results were this. It depends on what t-shirt the runner is wearing. It depends on what t-shirt the runner is wearing. When the t-shirt, when he wore a plain t-shirt, about 33% of people helped. But when the runner was wearing a rival Liverpool t-shirt, 30% helped. However, when the runner was wearing a Manchester United soccer t-shirt, 92% of people stopped and helped the runner. And so then the researchers, they took a different approach. They got the Manchester United soccer fans together, and before they went on the walk, they had them sit and they talked about, hey, why do you love soccer? What is so great about the sport of soccer? And so they sat with them for a while, and they had them make a list and name all of the things that they loved about soccer, and then they had them go on the walk. They repeated the experiment. And still, the people responded to the runner when they were wearing the Manchester United shirt. But this time, this time, overwhelmingly, they helped the runner when wearing a rival Liverpool t-shirt to the tune of 70%. I mean, stop and think about that for just a minute. Because once they stopped and saw themselves not just identifying with their team, but identifying with a person that loves soccer, the Liverpool team became not just a rival, but they became part of the love of the game, the love of the sport. And researchers, overwhelmingly, they call this activating a common identity. Activating a common identity because when we share an identity with someone, when we can recognize that we are a part of something that's the same, when we can see others as a part of us, we are much more likely to be responsive to them. And labels, they can be barriers to that, can't they? I mean, we so quickly put people in a box and put a label on it, things like educated, or dropout. Addict. Wealthy. Muslim. Woman. Old. But the way of Jesus meant that he moved towards people. He moved towards people in the midst of their celebrations, in the midst of their healing, in the midst of their brokenness and their sickness, in the midst of their pain. He didn't operate by the societal expectations of our world because he talked with prostitutes, he huddled up with children, he healed the Roman soldier, he empowered women, he spent time teaching ordinary, everyday people about the ways of the kingdom. Friends, he moved towards people. Jesus went to people that could never dream of getting to him. I love these words from 1 Peter 4 in the message translation. They say this, most of all, most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. 
Love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. Be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so that all get in on it. If words, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's hearty help. That way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus, and he'll get the credit as the one mighty in everything encores to the end of time. Love each other as if your life depended on it. And friends, that's why we got to go. An example of this, of what it looks like, is in the Bible. We see that the very first people to hear the good news of the Savior being born was who? Shepherds. The shepherds were the lowest of the low because of the nature of their job. It made them unclean. They were outcasts and not likely, not allowed to be part of religious rituals. If anyone was to be considered to be the least likely to be worthy of the message of a newborn king, it was the shepherds. Instead, we learn that from the very beginning, God's mission was to introduce a new kingdom, a new reality, and he does that by going. Going to those who can't imagine that they would deserve him. This Christmas, friends, it is okay to gather. It is okay, it is good to gather, but friends, don't stop there. Don't stop there. Let's do our gathering, but let's go. Let's go. And here's the thing, I'm not asking you to add another thing to your to-do list. I don't need to burden you any more than you already are. But I wonder if instead, as you're doing life this week, instead you can invite God to help you see people. Maybe just one person. One person recognizing that we never know the whole story and allowing the Holy Spirit to give us his eyes and his ears and his heart that would lead us to be with people and invite God to just help you show up with them, to slide into their shoes and to wonder what the gospel, the good news might sound like to them. Second Corinthians 5 says that his love compels us. And as I prepare to preach, I always kind of sit in the back and I pray for you. And that's been my prayer for you as a church, that his love would compel you. That would compel you to spend time in the word, but that would compel you to go. To be with people. To see people for who they are. and invite them to know Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your good word this morning, your good word that has come through a baby Jesus. And we recognize that that is not just words that we say or songs that we sing, but it is a message that we carry into a world that needs it. God, forgive us for the ways that we overcomplicate that message. Forgive us for the ways that we allow barriers to stand between us and the people that so desperately need to hear about Jesus. God, thank you that the message of Jesus can be heard through the reality of our love. 
And so change our hearts, God. And give us the Spirit's eyes to see and ears to hear 